0: And welcome to a very special episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Uh, This is one of our After Dark specials that we love to do every so often. And I am one of your hosts, Perry.
1: I'm your host, David.
0: And so. As always, you know, we like to do these, like I said, every so often, nice little recap for the season that we just ended and uh, moving into the next, the next bit, the next phase. Um, tonight, we're not only going to talk about all of the stuff that happened in season four, but also kind of talk about where we think things are going to be going into season five. And of course, talking about anything else that comes to mind as we go through a lot of this. So... um Without further ado, I have to obviously start with David because this is his first time through uh, with this show, and so now that we have finished season four, how are you feeling about uh, your your journey through Deep Space Nine?
1: Yeah, um, I yeah, so I, I feel like you've said that season four is where we start noticing some changes. Um, I guess the story gets a little more streamlined in some ways. While I do feel like season four at times did get distracted from the main story. We also did get some major changes. Um, we got Worf joining the crew. We got the Federation and the Klingons having a breakup in relationship starting from the very first episode of the season. Um, we got... Odo at the end of the season we just we just finished talking about him, he's now not able to do his changeling abilities anymore. He's now been made a human by the other changelings. So he's, uh, they've somehow done something to him to make him a human. Um, the Jim Hadar are still a threat. Um, I do have some comments on them, but I'll get to that a little bit later. Um, the but the changelings have been have been infiltrating our side of the wormhole for a while now, basically. Um, and they've got into some pretty dangerous places. They've got into the Federation. They have got into the um, Romulans. They've gotten uh, into at the end of the season. We see the Galrons now been replaced. So yeah, on this on the on the top level, you know the the big bigger scope things, the things that are gonna affect you know, future seasons and in, in the big, you know, big major plot elements. Those are, those are big. Those are, those are happening. Uh, Odo is, we now know officially he does have feelings for Kira, even though if he won't admit them himself, um, he's still kind of keeping those down on, like keeping those to himself, but other people know about it. Um, that's pretty big cause he's a changeling and she's obviously a, a Bajoran but she's now in a relationship with the head of the Bajorans, the first minister, Minister not just, Mm -hmm. exactly. Not just um, Vedic, um, but um, actually the actual head of the entire planet. So um, yeah, we've had a lot of changes. Uh, We got, you know, Nog has moved on. He's joined the Federation. We still got Jake. He's uh, learning to become a writer while still on the station. Yeah. Quark nearly <laughs> nearly lost the bar multiple times. In fact, he's been yeah. kicked out of... Uh, of, um, uh, uh, What is he? A, um, Ferengi
0: Society. There it is, Ferengi Society. exiled, Good. ostracized.
1: So both Odo and Quark, in the course of two episodes, got kicked out of their own species, their own society, their own culture, yeah, that's their actually- own people.
0: That's actually kind of the theme of season four. You know, it starts with Worf 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 getting that. You know, he gets the boot in the very first opener, you know. And then, um, uh, yeah, Odo and uh, Quark follow suit you know right. so yeah I mean, and that's dax was been there.
1: willing to do that yeah dax almost
0: with... did yeah she almost you know uh in the episode rejoined she almost right. took that path of exile from trill society as well so yeah, yes. this uh kind of making these hard choices do you do you follow your uh your own sense of honor your sense of duty your sense of obligation to society do you what do you do do you do that or do you go your own way? Do you beat your own path and accept right. the exile? That seems to be the the theme that we're seeing here.
1: Yeah, even Garrick, he's already been exiled too. Mm-hmm. Um multiple exiles as we start to compare characters together. Um, would we say that Cisco's been exiled to D Space Nine? I don't think he nah, has been.
0: Nah, cause D Space Nine um was definitely his rebirth, but it was always an important mission you know right. bringing bringing Bajor into the federation fold is like the chief goal of Starfleet is of you know whenever they make first contact with any species they the hope is that eventually they will they will join the federation so right. yeah he's doing uh he's doing the work he's doing the work he was that they would ideally want him to be doing him getting involved in other stuff and becoming the emissary and everything else that is a detraction from what he what they sent him there for so yeah right
1: now, First Minister Kishikar, in the episode where he came to the station, was trying to kind of expedite joining the Federation, but as of yet, the Bajorians are still not officially part of the Federation.
0: That's right? right. They are a Federation-protected world. They have not officially joined. There are several steps that are involved in joining um, the Federation fully. Um, several things you have to give up and things that you have to accept and all that kind of stuff. Like, for example a caste system if you have a caste system you can't Mm, be a member of of the federation because they believe everybody is equal no one there's no aristocracy and all that kind of stuff so and we did see that play out when that other guy showed up pretending to be the emissary or claiming he shouldn't say pretending claiming to be the emissary but um yeah they ended up sending him back in time to his right to his place so exactly Exactly. But yeah, you know, it, it's it's interesting that we actually just happened on that first because you know that is the whole point. Uh, that's the whole premise of this show was they were tasked with bringing the Bajorans into the Federation. But you know what? Right. We've never really talked about what it takes to be a member of the Federation. You know, and I don't think any show has really gone into gone into that what it takes to be a member of the Federation. I mean, that was the first instance that we ever got of them talking about anything that was against the federation charter but yeah they don't I don't think we have a uh a screen an on-screen representation of what that would be right what that would entail so okay i find that interesting that in all of trek we haven't really seen that i think that would be a great thing to focus on is um the articles of the federation right what do you have to adopt uh-huh. in order to be a Federation member? I'm sure that right. there's probably some book or apocrypha that's got something akin to that, but we don't have anything that will be considered, I guess, uh, canon. Because uh-huh. uh, it's never appeared in any movie or TV show or anything like that. So, Right. Just like the Prime Directive, now that I think about it, we hear so much talk about the Prime Directive, but we've never <laughs> actually – they've never actually sat down and said, this is what it says, right? This is what it what it does. We, no know, one's ever
1: detailed it right. we know
0: that it's kind of a general rule about non-interference and at what level of development they need to be. We've kind of accepted that that is when they develop warp drive. Because that's when humans made contact with another species for the first time. When uh, Zephyr and Cochran made his first warp flight shortly thereafter, Vulcans decided that that was the time... To meet humans for the first time, and so that right. kind of has become the benchmark once the society develops warp drive, warp travel becomes warp capable, then it's okay to expose yourself uh, right. expose yourself make your presence <laughs> make your presence known. Uh, at that point, but I mean that's that's basically it, we don't really know anything else about what it says what they can do, a lot of that's just kind of inferences made throughout all the years that Trek has been on, so I find that interesting too, like at this point, you know, 60 plus years into the franchise I really feel like those are the things they need to go back and like, explain uh, I, you know, I have to admit I am enjoying the prequel Strange New Worlds uh, show, but I would like for them to do something like that where they kind of spell out a few of these things. But um I guess that's ultimately would become limiting because when you when you make such a hard rule um in your world building right. then you have to come up with reasons that you can justify breaking it. And by keeping right. it kind of vague, we have all the captains have Broken it or bent it, as they like to say, uh, <laughs> a time or two in their tenure. Yeah,
1: yep, they do like to do that. Um, yeah, the one thing I um, the Jim Hadar, as I've mentioned in the last episode where they showed up, um, I I think it's really interesting to see these alien cultures be explored in detail mm. um in the last episode not, not the final episode but the previous episode we did uh the body parts episode where quark was trying to he thought he was going to sell his dead body for money you know, pay off his debts and then realized he actually didn't have the fatal disease and so he needed to renege on his um his plan to sell his own dead body um Who's the character? Who's from the, Brunt, the... FCA? Brunt. Right, FCA Brunt. His conversation with Quark: "Like you're a philanthropist. You're a <laughs> you're a Federation flunky. You're yeah, you... you have a union. You don't overcharge people. You don't. You didn't gouge the refugees. Like
0: you gave it that's... to them
1: at cost. Cost. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. Just great." And while I like the idea of learning to, of learning more about the Jim Hadar, I don't feel like any Jim Hadar character has ever had the impact of the first one. Talk what is it? Talak Talon? Talak Talon from the very first time we met them, the season two finale. Um, that first Jim Hadar, he had such presence.
0: I don't know. I, I would say You don't think? I would say Omedicon. Get, would give him a good run for his money he's the, the one, one
1: from like a couple
0: episodes yeah ago. we just met him um i feel like i'm he, not
1: saying he was terrible but i feel like um to, lock to line, i mean like when he beamed aboard the station and they tried putting the isolation field around it and he like stepped through it or whatever it was he did i think he stepped through yeah it. he
0: just walked through it like it wasn't there
1: yeah, like not only did he beam onto the station without permission to a place where they couldn't, they didn't tell him, and then that happened in this last episode, which we forgot to mention, when they beamed aboard the Defiant, like he was going to meet them in the in the transporter bay, and they immediately transported directly onto onto the bridge, like power move. They've always done it; it's always you know great to see them do it. But I guess what I'm getting, maybe I'm maybe I'm just saying, maybe at some level it's just like that was my first time to really see the Jim Hadar, and therefore. They made an impression. Taloq made an impression because he was the first one. But st- I do still feel like that first uh, Jim Hadar character of Taloq was a great one, and I-, I did want to see him return. And I'm sad that we haven't ever had. I guess Cress Williams was the actor mm-hmm. who played him in that episode. Um, I don't know if he'll ever come back in the role, but I I liked him quite a lot. Um,
0: well, there's yeah. something to be said about a dynamic first entrance. I mean, you're talking about the very first time we ever saw the the Jem Hadar's foot soldiers. I mean, you know, up to that moment we had just heard whispers of the Dominion. Like, if you think about it, going all the way back to season two, that was the first time that we had really heard of this other force on the other side of the wormhole that was right. upsetting things, you know. And then we come into the third season, and we're getting more of that. Who's the Dominion? You know the you know the Ferengi were trying to set up inroads with the Dominion via their tuliberry wine. Sales and the Eye making the contact for them and uh you know just just having to deal with that whole situation and just knowing that there's this force we keep hearing about the dominion the dominion the dominion and then finally we see the dominion and he beams onto the station. He lets them put the security field around him. And even when they do it, you know, he gives them, there's this look of annoyance on his face when he's standing there. And it's just right. like, you know, and then he walks right through it. It is impressive. It's startling because the Star yeah. Trek, you know, the the Federation force field is, uh, you know, the ultimate stopgap. You know, you can't get right. through, a, through a containment field. And then he just right. walked through it like it was nothing, you know? Right. Great stuff. Yeah. The only the only aliens we'd ever seen, even come close to doing something like that, were the Borg. You know, the right. Borg had that ultimate adaptability. You couldn't contain them by a force field. That was also how we recognized their threat was the right. ineffectiveness of the containment of them. Right. So now here we have this whole other alien species that can do it too. Yeah, it's definitely a shocker power move. Right.
1: Yeah. Speaking of the Borg, by the way, I think it's going to be sometime in the new future where my watch of Deep Space Nine will coordinate with was it First Contact? Is that the yes. movie with the Borg show yes. up? So I'll have to watch that and, uh, and and time that up. We'll have to. Oh, uh, I, don't worry. I'm keeping
0: and... I'm keeping a watch on that for you. I am definitely oh, good, uh, good, trying good. to stay aware so that um, when the time comes, I plan to watch the movie um, with you. So. Very good.
1: Good. We can okay. we
0: can make sure that we talk about it. It'll probably be another one of these after dark specials. <laughs> you know? So again, to highlight some of the things that we've talked about here for season four, and you know um, the the different ways in which the show changed. Because as I've said, I feel like season four is um, the the turning point season of this show. You know, season one, we're just getting used to these characters. We're finding out about them and, you know, how they fit into the greater Trek world. We, you know, a lot of things still need to be hashed out about them. We're getting a lot of that through not just season one, but into season two. Season three, some people are, are kind of coming into their own, but we are lacking in a lot of ways with a lot of characters, probably chief among them would be Dax followed closely by Dr. Bashir, you know, um, O'Brien sees a lot of development. Kira gets a lot of development season two, season three, you know, and even Cisco, you know, we kind of leave him off a bit and don't really return to him until like kind of midway of season three. And, uh, a lot of that also deals with his family, you know, his father, his son, the relationship with Cassidy, um, all of those things, uh, uh, are in that season three season four we see the return of Worf to just to star trek not to just Deep Space Nine, but the return to star trek we um get more of of odo we certainly get more of jadzia in season four we get a lot of things with our recurring characters now cork garrick you know they have more to do here in in season four than they ever had before uh bashir finally gets some much needed character development we always had thought of him as a a good guy and overall you know competent doctor but we really got to see him um highlight his expertise in episodes like the quickening you know which we just recently talked about so all of these things like i feel like are really important because what ends up coming up next um uh, there's so much in season four that is setting the stage for what's next more so than any other season has done before that. We've got the instability with the Cardassians and what's going on on their home front. We've got, um, Klingons on the war path. We've got the dominion again, ca- cropping up and being uh, a greater and greater threat. We haven't seen any official incursions from in, in full force, from the dominion into the alpha quadrant but everything that we're seeing if you're watching and paying attention you'll see that it's like it's clear they're getting closer like right. run-ins with the dominion have become more and more frequent it's almost like they're starting from some far off spot deep in the gamma quadrant and they're moving they're moving forward they're coming closer and closer to the uh to the wormhole right So I just, I really love that pacing. I really love how it's like, you have to pay attention to really see how that's going down. So um, interesting. Yeah. Like
1: I thought about it that way before.
0: Yeah. Like just, I mean, think about it. Like in season, season two, Mm -hmm. you know, when we had to deal with Hanik and her people who they were having a hard time with the translator You know, she was talking about how, you know, they had been traveling in their cobbled together ships for, you know, a couple of years trying to find a place because their last home where they had been, you know, subjugated and whatever else had been taken over by this invasion force. They didn't know who the invaders were, but the invaders caused the people who were in power to lose power, which allowed for Hanik and her people to finally escape, you know. Right. We also hear about the Dozi and their dealings with uh, the Dominion, and then right. in season three, um, we have the destruction of the Odyssey, and Cisco uh, and uh, Quark and his son are you know Cisco well, and Quark are captured by the Dominion, right. but uh, yeah, we we have that, and then we have the whole Zen Kathy thing at the end of season three, which was, you know, the infiltration with the ambassador there. And then, Uh yeah, you know, now we're here, here we are in this season and we've now been through the wormhole and the Cardassian obsidian order and Tash have been wiped out and they're having to hide and runabouts from the, from the Gem Hidar, like they're they're just everywhere. They've gone from being <laughs> yeah. this kind of whispered, fearful thing in the background to now they're just actively doing stuff and influencing our people.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I, the, I, 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 in this last episode, I, I to, I guess I forgot to talk about it. Like, part of me wants Cisco to like sit down with the changelings and be like, look. Maybe this will happen eventually, but like, just be like, look, I know you guys say you had a, a rough history of people attacking you, abusing you, being afraid of you. You guys are doing everything that makes us want to be afraid of you, but our intention as the Federation is to try and not that have that not be the case. Now, I can't speak for all the you know, species in the Gamma Quad. I can't speak for the Ferengi. I can't speak for the Klingons. I can't speak for the cardassians or the or the romulans but like in terms of the federation our job is to try and make peaceful relationships between aliens species happen and work and i wish he would be like basically just kind of nail that home like really kind of take it to them a bit take it to the changing woman kind of whoever. like
0: um kind of like he does in the first episode with the prophets you know in season yeah one. He spends yeah. a lot of time convincing them because because the prophets are the same way. The prophets are like you guys. Are, they kept saying it. You're adversarial. You're confrontational, and so right. he spent a lot of time convincing them that you know we're not that way. And he even right. says you know that's part of our mission. We're here to, we're here to listen. We're here to learn. That's what he says. Right. And right. yet we never see him do that, and really anyone do that with the Dominion at least so far. But then right. again. Kind of hard to do when every time you're around these people they're attacking you, you know they're they're doing something to be subversive, you know the the prophets just didn't care, but right. they were also like, We don't want you interfering because you have these tendencies, but right. they hadn't put a a finite stop on the, on on the federation yet, and then right. ultimately Ben convinces them not to. The Dominion on the other right. hand, I mean, hell, they blew up the Odyssey. They didn't have to, but they <laughs> they just did.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah, they did. They're powerful, right? That's that's the other thing too, is like how are they so much more powerful than everybody else? Like what about what what happened that they have such fantastic technology? It's wow. the
0: Gem Hadar. It's not even necessarily that they have better technology, but if you think about it, it's it's the Gem Hadar because the Gem Hadar are grown they're not as they're not a culture they're not a society they are grown in tanks and then they are chemically addicted to a substance that only the founders can make they well, I'm don't about have like a...
1: how do they pass through that, that 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 security field how do they have the technology for that how do they have the technology to blow up the odyssey so you know, effectively,
0: well, I mean, they rammed their ship into the Odyssey. So, I mean, fair enough. That's, that's gonna true. It was that's, more a suicide yeah. mission. They they, they had been they had been attacking for, they had been attacking the Odyssey for a while, and the shields went down on the Odyssey. The Odyssey right. was trying to withdraw, and they kamikaze right. the Odyssey. So it that's wasn't true because
1: they don't care for their lives. Like right, people. right. So, yeah,
0: and so I mean, that's what it all comes down to. I I, I like to think of the Dominion as a interesting allegory for. Or not allegory, but interesting um, parallel to the Borg. Yeah. They're this threat from the deep, dark depths of the Gamma Quadrant. They come through and through either subversive tactics of the Founders taking, you know, taking over political leaders and stuff in various cultures and, and whatever else to Jem'Hadar shock troops, they take over cultures. So whatever thing that culture may have of value, they essentially mm-hmm. assimilate, yeah, you know? Yeah, sure. And so sure. I'm sure that, you know, and as as we have found out through wayoon and the female changeling and so forth... The founders have existed for thousands of years. Think of the technology they've not only probably come up with on their own, but probably come across and incorporated into their own stuff over thousands of years.
1: Yeah. And if they're able to yeah. impersonate people. How much can they can they impersonate the memories and and how much can Part they of impersonate what, a person?
0: Yeah, I mean I, I yeah I don't, I don't think we've ever been given, yeah. I don't think we've ever been given anything that says they can like duplicate brain patterns, but um, certainly enough that they can pass muster to get like top secret government documents or True. get their hands on advanced research. And yep. so doing that for thousands of years across multiple cultures, who knows what they could have, you know, incorporated into who they are. And that's right. what that's what then turned them into a power. So now they right. have. Whole systems dedicated to nothing but ship production, or gemhadar production, or cell uh, white—the drug that the the, the Jem'Hadar are addicted to—whole right. civilizations dedicated just to making that stuff. And so that's yeah. why they become such a threat and a power, because in an instant they can have—you can be surrounded by ships and gemhadar soldiers. Check, even we saw in the most recent episode when Cisco was broadcasting the signal. It wasn't just one gem at our worship that showed up. It was like ten. <laughs> yeah. But they didn't need to show up. I mean, two was already a bit of overkill because you would have outnumbered them. You know, three was enough. Yeah. They completely surrounded, three D surrounded the Defiant that's to make sure. True. To make did. sure that's the that is a definite power move, show of strength. They didn't need to go yeah. that hard.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And they were waiting for him too. They showed up fairly quick, if i remember correctly too. They. They I mean, did. They, they, they dropped knew it out. I was gonna yeah. have a problem, but. Yeah. 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 Um. Who else are we gonna say about this season? Um. Oh gosh. Oh. Dang it! Should have written it down or something. But um, <laughs> there's something else I was, I guess, gonna say. Uh we got Keiko back. You know, she was uh, basically gone for a longer hiatus with uh with Molly on this on the planet.
0: On Bajor. Um,
1: on Bajor, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um she's back. I don't know if we'll s I mean they haven't said what else is gonna happen next other than the fact that she's supposed to be pregnant, but they've transferred the pregnancy to Kira. <laughs> Interesting uh
0: Interesting way to write in, write in write yeah. in uh <laughs> The, preg- the actual pregnancy of Nana Visitor, you know? And that's yes. something that we talked about as well, you know, them wanting to move away from that very quintessential 90s trope of either not filming the woman from, like, mid-chest down or right. cleverly hiding her behind desks and countertops and oh why is she holding that abnormally large sign this week Uh, you know (laughs) like things like that like we're not supposed to don't
1: look at my belly right Right. that's (laughs) what it might as well
0: say you know but yeah they found a a better way i think to deal with it um but yes you're right we do we do have keiko back and uh keiko will be around in Season 5. And I think that, you know, as we've talked about before, Keiko is another one of those characters that also gets a bad rap. In fact, I'm, let's dedicate these next few minutes to talk about a couple of characters who do get a bad rap here on the show. I'm thinking of two in particular. Keiko O'Brien and L'Oxana Troy, daughter of the Fifth House, holder <laughs> of the Sacred Chalice of uh, Breaks, heir to the Roly rings her. of Beta Z. Miss yes. L'Oxana Troy. She is fantastic. All right, so... Played by
1: none other than...
0: Miss Angel Barrett Roddenberry, of course. Yeah,
1: yeah. of course, of course. Uh, so, I guess we've already mentioned Keiko, so I think... I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but I do feel like she gets... Maybe it's just you and I have talked about it. I do feel like she gets a bad rap when I feel like it's O'Brien himself that deserves some of the critique. Like, yeah. He's he's definitely... Like, in this last episode we just did, you know, he was complaining that he walked... He walked in, and he saw um, Kira and and Keiko talking, but they stopped talking when he walked in, and Molly giggled, and he thinks they were talking about him. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, people are allowed to talk about you when you're not there, quite frankly. You know? I mean, they may have conversations that are awkward, but that's their right. And if you need—I mean, if if Keiko is your spouse, and you need her to tell you something— Maybe you need to ask her about it. But going to your coworkers and then pouting <laughs> seems very strange. I think O'Brien needs to grow some thicker skin. Because, I mean, man, gosh, I mean, last season, there was that one episode where he and Keiko had a real big blow-up fight. And yeah. I was like, man, O'Brien. But that seems to have, you know... Oh, but when, that's right. When, when when Keiko showed up with, and was like, oh, I'm pregnant... His first reaction was like, "Oh, my bachelor lifestyle that I've been enjoying for the last year is now going to be reinterrupted um, by having my wife back and my kid back and having another kid back." Uh, I was like, "Uh, Brian, okay, all right, you know, do you do you?" But that's not how I would have done things. I would, I, would, I don't think I would, I don't, I'm not married. I'm not, I'm not. I don't have kids, so I can't talk. I guess.
0: <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Um I can remember watching this episode years ago, you know, when around when it first aired and very much feeling that way about, um, like what O'Brien was saying, like agreeing with him, you know, he didn't want Keiko to go to Bajor in the first place. He finally got okay with her going. And then she comes back and they got into a fight because she was like, Oh, the mission's going great, but I'm going to need another seven months to be on Bajor to complete this. And he's like, right. you know, his his whole family is gone. I mean, you know, his wife took their daughter. So he's been pounding around the station by himself. And
1: he... Well, with Bashir in tow. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and he,
0: he's wanting his family back. But he finally agrees, and they work it out, and she's going to go again, you know. So he's left to his own devices to figure out a way to, you know, be okay with the situation and to be happy and and so forth. And then she comes back finally, and she's totally disruptive and dismissive of his life and what he's been up to and whatever else. And... You know, I remember thinking that when I watched it years ago and being like, that's why Keiko got such a bad rap. Because it was like, you have no regard for your husband and what he's been going through and whatever else. But now, watching it now, I saw it so different. So, like, for example, she doesn't have a disregard for what his situation is, but when she comes back, she's pregnant. And they need things to change because she's pregnant and uh, she needs him to get on the ball with the changes again, because she's pregnant and he tries at first, but then he's like, well, you know, I was kind of looking forward to this honeymoon period of her being back. And now I've got to jump right back into not just dad role, but preparing for a newborn role and so he doesn't get to tinker around with toys or whatever he's got to get to work on building a nursery and so forth and it's just like but dude i mean that's your kid like
1: exactly that's how i feel yeah Yeah.
0: step up like do what you got to do she she didn't just you know it's your fault she's pregnant so you know do your part here instead of being like All she wants to do is just be quiet, and we sit, and we. She's tired, man. She's carrying your child, like.
1: Yeah, that's how I feel you about know. it.
0: Yeah. So yeah, like, and I think that that's why <laughs> she got such a bad rep early on, because I just think there were so many people who just didn't pay attention to that aspect. Because I mean, she's she's not showing when she first shows back up and announces that she's pregnant she's certainly not showing you know and then in the few episodes later on when we when she's talking about it again and everything else again it's still not altogether um serious you know and she even gives him an excuse to go and hang out with julian and 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 so forth so yeah i mean he does a lot of whining and moaning and groaning and stuff and uh, as as a parent i can just tell you it it became kind of annoying because i was like man like that's your kid. Step up. Do what you got to do. Be quiet. Right. You can you can hang out later. You know right. it's not like Julian's going anywhere. Like right. y'all. You know. So yeah. 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 But yeah, she definitely got such a bad rap as being this nagging. Oh, you don't take care of your husband or else. But but what was he doing?
1: <laughs>
0: it wasn't like he was. It wasn't like she interfered with his work in any regard. He was still able right. to do his job and right. and so forth, but yeah, he just he couldn't play in the holodeck as much. Right, right. He was crying.
1: Yes, so. that's exactly what I'm getting at. I definitely feel like O'Brien has been whiny way too often. Um, uh, I mean, his character uh, I mean, Bashir has matured, I'm sure O'Brien B- can too. Um, yeah, that episode where, uh, you already alluded to it, but that episode where Bashir just a couple episodes ago, where he was trying to help save a planet from a devastating plague that the Jim Hadar had unleashed on their people. It, it was a bittersweet episode. It was really good, because, you know, things didn't go as well as they might have normally. You know, a lot of times when episodes are super, you know, kind of syrupy sweet, you know, things always go the way we, we want. No, no negative effects really last, you know, beyond the episode. Everything goes back to normal. And that one Bashir is still, when the episode closes, still trying to solve the problem, uh, even though he did have some success. It, he wasn't able to save the one girl uh, right before she died, and um, yeah. So yeah, characters have matured. Um, I still don't think Dax gets enough storylines. I guess the real question to talk about though is like, how does Worf, how is Worf integrating into the into the team?
0: You know, what's your opinion on that? I'll ask you first. Like, how do you feel? Like, do you feel like Worf is fitting in? Because I mean, we, we've now we've literally watched him from episode one of season four, and now here we are all the way at the end, or we you know we just finished concluded right. season season four. Um, do you feel like he's a good fit so far, or do you feel like there's someone else from Next Generation who would have been a better fit?
1: Um a better fit I mean the story is definitely working with with him in mind with the whole mm-hmm. Klingons going the way they did with him having his brother show up and and basically they have their um you know kill me brother you know I I can't live like this situation um I guess I would I would put it this way though I don't feel like I've said this before. I don't feel like Deep Space 9 has ever really gelled the crew together in the way that TNG did. TNG was very focused on the idea that like our 7 to 8 crew members, you know, Picard, Riker, Crusher, like all of them, like all of them are basically the senior officers on the ship and all, you know, all of them are working to solve problems week to week. Whereas mm-hmm. our crew on Deep Space Nine has never quite gelled like that. And I do feel like Deep Space Nine has not been as good as TNG in those aspects. I do like the idea that TNG, that they had what felt like a full complement of characters that were regularly interacting to solve their issues with their expertise. You know, Picard is, of course, the captain. Riker's the the next in command. We got the empath. We got Data as the, you know, knowledge of all you know, He's the fountain of all knowledge, you know. All, all mm-hmm. just technical things. We got we got Jordy, who's the engineer. Like you, you have they all have their place, and they really fit in their place really well. Um, Space Nine hasn't quite ever done that. So Worf is. I I like the idea. That there's a dedicated officer for running the Defiant. Defiant. I, I like the idea that Space Nine has a Federation ship associated with the station. I like that there's a dedicated officer for the ship. And so I think that Worf is a great officer for the ship. And, for example, that episode where he he's on trial for firing too quickly, I still
0: feel like... Rules of engagement. What a great episode.
1: Yeah. I still feel like... I mean, he was obviously set up, but it was so obviously a setup, I feel like it was just too on the nose almost. Like, I well, don't even know.
0: I'm gonna say that I don't feel like it was it was too on the nose, but it's it falls into the same problem that we've noticed with a lot of these episodes. It's got such a great premise, but they need more time to develop it, and they don't have it as we've said many right. times, that is an episode that would have made a great two parter but they just right. didn't do it because if right. they had if they had drawn that out a little bit more and really made the stakes higher for us for for Wharf. Um, uh-huh. that episode to me while still a, a fun and engaging episode would have been absolutely next level if we thought that there was a real chance that Worf was going to be cashiered out of Starfleet or that right. he was going to face some kind of you know death by honorable firing squad or whatever it is that's, that's the Klingon equivalent or whatever for for yeah. what he did if there um, yeah if there were just more things like that
1: Right. I'm trying to remember how that episode ended, like how – um, oh, they – the the Klingons had faked – the ship didn't have people on it, so um they didn't – no one actually was killed. So it was right. a setup. Right. That's right. It was completely set up the whole time. Um, But yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel like Worf, of all the characters from TNG to come to this show, I do feel like he was the right one because uh, of the way the story has gone. They've mm-hmm. definitely included him. Um, and that's been, been good. Um, I guess the real... You know, him and Cisco are interesting, because Cisco basically worked really hard to get him to come and join. He and Dax have had more things to do together. Like, Dax went with him to go find the Sword of Kalis. Um So, yeah, I... I I guess I, I'm not going to say that Wharf isn't gelling as much as, again, I just, I like the idea that TNG had a really gelled crew. Again, they were all the senior officers, which is always the critique I find. and At least I, I think of, when I think of Star Trek, of, like, all of them little minions that run around on the ship in the background. We don't really know anything about their lives, but all the senior officers are always solving all the problems. They're mm. always going to the planet. They're always shooting the things or being the, the diplomats and that's fine. We can't have every character obviously be it in focus. And it's good to have people um, just in the background. Um, but I, I, do feel like there, it, it feels at times like on, on D space nine that like, we don't really see as many just people in the background in terms of like, actually in this last episode, there were a lot of people looking at Odo on the promenade and they mm-hmm. were Federation people Actually, I forgot to mention, I thought too many of them were staring. It was so obvious (laughs) that they were just being really rude about it. It was like, you guys have no, like, tact. But anyway, um, but we saw more people in the background that seemed to have Federation uniforms on, which I liked because I felt it was more populated in that sense. Um, Well, yeah, I guess that's what I I would say. Go ahead.
0: Well, they do make it a point to say that you know, Deep Space Nine as a space station is this kind of hub of of True. cultural activity, and also that the Federation is kind of far away, so it makes right. sense that we're not going to see that many people in Starfleet uniforms wandering around, uh, just just being around. You know, um, the, if you, if you really want to think about it, the Federation, or it's not just Federation, um, the Starfleet personnel are almost right. like a skeleton crew with the majority of the actual workforce being made up of Bajorans. So, um, yeah, so yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I guess I would just say that um, it, it just feels like they, the Federation presence on a starship, which of course it's a starship. Duh. Was very clear, very present. Yeah, no. that's
0: absolutely. You are absolutely right, and I think that, and I think that the differences right. are a hundred percent intentional because they want right. you to be constantly reminded that this is not a starship. This is right. this that they don't have the same kind of direct chain of command, um, right. all of that. And I, I actually, you know, appreciate that because with next generation, it's just like what you were you're talking about here. The the cast or our crew members did seem to gel quickly and efficiently, but they all had the same background. They were all coming from Starfleet. They were all Starfleet graduates. Whereas here, what we're seeing is a mix. Now, while the majority of the command staff are Starfleet, we do have a good mix of people who are not, and also people who have kind of been out of the way a bit. Like, O'Brien's not actually an officer. He's a non-com. Uh, right. Kira is the first officer but she's she's a Bajoran national right. she's in the Bajoran right. military Worf was on prolonged sabbatical before he showed up you know and then right. of course you have the doctor who's not really in the direct chain of command um, Dax who is but she's I mean she's Dax I mean there's just like <laughs> I mean really it's, it's her and Sisko are the only two who are like directly Starfleet chain and command yeah. until they bring in Worf. Everybody else has some kind of other classification that kind of makes right. them special. Dr. Right. Bajoran provisional officer, Bajoran security officer, Changeling, whatever, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that's why there is this kind of bit of, you know, of disconnect because they yeah. don't all have the same background, but I think that the disconnect that we see with them professionally also helps them to relate together better personally. I think they have better interpersonal dynamic when they're not on duty than what we see in, in Next Generation. Like, think of the episode we saw in... I guess it'd be season two, where Kira is leaving because the the NAVOK is going to take over her position. You know, Lee Notless... Right. And how yeah. they all came into her quarters in that great bickering scene that they did, the rapid flyer. Oh, right. Um That think, was
1: so great. Yeah, think of the parties
0: that they've had, you know, when, when Luxana showed up the first time and she's causing everybody to be, you know, kind of crazy and stuff. Um, at the Bajoran Renewal Festival, basically their new year, and everybody's chasing everybody else around. They have great yeah, the they have tri- great fun. suddenly break out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they have a lot of great fun things that happen. Right. So and once again, look are coming up and she's kind of this odd odd duck thrown in there uh with everything else they've got going on. We didn't really talk much about her when we were talking about characters who get a bad rap. But you know, Loxana is definitely one of those that just she doesn't she doesn't necessarily fit anywhere she goes, but she definitely brings another kind of a next level liveliness to what she's, to what's going on that right. wouldn't exist without her. And I absolutely love her.
1: For yeah. Her. Yeah. That's definitely true. Yeah. She's always. Yeah. She, she brings a unique energy and, and, and character every time she shows up. Yeah. Um, and gosh, I, you know, it's funny, you know, we just had Odo experience a pretty, very significant change um everything from turning into a human to being hit on directly by a woman. And now that he's human again, I know Loxana doesn't show up ever again because of what you told me, but part of me wonders what would happen if she showed up now. He's actually human, he's actually been changed. Mm-hmm. Would that change anything for her? Because um, you know, she had him help her get out of a marriage by having him marry her instead, which. Oh my goodness! But, yeah, that was um, like, the
0: episode, the Muse. That was the last time that uh, major was on um, any trek. As a matter of right, fact. that was yeah. the last time. So yeah, and it's interesting that she like they don't even kind of give her like a you know a nod here in this episode of you we know, or this last episode Broken Link where Odo is going through this very traumatic event, and you know he's you know, re- he returns home and. It could have just been a simple thing as, you know, he's he's now human, he's back on the station, and he's in his office reading a letter that she had wow. written him, and she's just telling him, you know, how sorry she is, and all the other kind of stuff. That would have been a nice something they could have yeah. done, but um, yeah, they kind of just, okay, she's done. That's it.
1: You know? yeah. yeah, exactly. So. Um,
0: now, I will say, I think it would have been interesting to have Data on board space 9.
1: David would have been great anywhere, frankly. He's such an interesting character. Um I guess the question is how do you th- how would he how are you imagining he would he would fit in? Is there something in particular you think of or
0: Well I think that he would have been interesting in the way that he would have worked with both O'Brien and Jazia because you know obviously with O'Brien kind of filling in for that engineering presence and then uh, Jadzia having her own milit or not military, but her own scientific expertise, which was what data did on board the enterprise, but having right. another scientifically inclined officer there um, for them to work with. And then him, you know, encountering the prophets for the first time. What would the prophets make of an Android, you know? Right. And then, yeah, the Cardassians maybe would have wanted to try to get their hands on him, you know, and uh dealing with the Dominion and all of those things I think would have been very interesting to just see how he how he would have handled some of that. The episode where they all got beamed into the holodeck and were playing out holiday characters Data is always messing up the holodeck. They should really just stop plugging that guy in places.
1: But I would love <laughs> to see
0: how his how his neural nets would have handled a cobbled together holosuite program that was Ferengi technology inside Cardassian inside Bajoran tech, all right. running around with Federation backups jacked in here and there. You right. know, Data run amok on that. St- almost broken down station. He surely would have ruined a lot of things, but, um, I think just stuff like that would have been, would have been very interesting or, you know, to a lesser degree, like having some recurring spots where like maybe Dr. Crusher, um, you know, they reached out to Starfleet during like the quickening episode and Dr. Crusher came with, um, Bashir, Bashir. and then they had some arguments on how to do the treatment, and it still could have been very much a Bashir episode. But we could have had another doctor there that offered a different perspective, and um, you know, kind of helped him, you know, build up his expertise a bit. You know, I would have liked to see things like that too. Right. But yeah, those are the two characters that kind of stand out to me the most. And I think that the reason I also would have said Beverly was simply because. We don't really get to see much of her do anything in next gen. So, you know, she was really starting to come into her own her own towards the end of the run of the show. Um, so I would have liked to have seen that kind of continue a branching out of Beverly Crusher.
1: Right. Okay. All right. Well we should um I I think we've already kind of hinted at it, but the one thing I definitely wanted to get from you this time is give us your modern, your take on modern Trek. Let me preface it this way. (laughs) I've I've heard people complain about modern Trek as being like, there's disrespectful characters to, to superior officers. There's, there's a, there's not the same level of respect that's given Uh, on discovery. you got, the, the, the Klingons were changed too much. And I, I think you and I have talked about that, yeah. but you can maybe give your quick opinion on some of that all right. stuff. Yeah. What's... Modern Trek. Give us the, the, the Perry defense. Why is a musical <laughs> episode acceptable in the middle of... Was that... I guess that was Strange New Worlds. That was Strange New Worlds.
0: And that was season... Whatever season they're on. It was in the most recent season. Alright. So first, I'm going to preface this by saying this. To all of you Long term, dyed in the wool fans. You've been watching since you were knee high to your parents, and Kirk was your first love, and all the rest of it, you know. <laughs> and you're still with us 50 plus years later, and you've got such a big gripe about all the new shows. And here's the shows that I'm considering new, just for the record it's anything after Enterprise, okay? Enterprise ended in 2000 i think i'm not 100 sure on that but i think it was 2004 mm-hmm. so anything after that so that means prodigy lower deck strange new worlds the the latest picard show discovery um those those all right right so to all of you people who are those are the shows that you have issues with in one way or another i'm going to tell you this lighten up all right <laughs> just do yourself a favor <laughs> And lighten up, all right? It's first and foremost, it's a TV show. It's meant to be entertainment. And nothing stays in the box, okay? So when Star Trek was first started, yes, there was a very clear idea helmed by Gene Roddenberry, um, what, what he wanted to do. But Gene Roddenberry was not an infallible God being creating shows for every great idea. It's well-documented that for again, every great idea he had, the man had some true stinkers. All right. So, <laughs> so let's not say that this is a betrayal of Gene Roddenberry's vision, because if we were staying true to Gene Roddenberry's vision, then Ferengi would have multiple genitalia and Deanna Troy would have walked around with a third breast. All right, so so calm down.
1: Um, now That's quite literally true, right? It's
0: very <laughs> true. Go look it up. That's what he wanted. That's what he wanted. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So. I mean, I
1: think that the Rangi do have extra genitalia because they're their ears. But the they were supposed used, to but...
0: be, yeah, it was supposed to be, no, extra, extra penises. Literal, Literal and extra. Extra, and, and also very, very large and showy. Okay. So, um, I still think
1: he got his wish on some level, but okay. I, I don't, I really
0: don't know how he ever thought that was going to get greenlit. I, I don't, I don't know. But anyway, um, when it comes to the new Trek, one of the main gripes that we have is like, I'm going to start with Discovery because it was the first new show that came out and it was that everybody was overly emotional and that there doesn't seem to be enough time to develop to let us get to know certain characters and then they go off to do whatever or they die or what, whatever the situation may be. Um, I honestly believe that this could be solved if we just had more episodes. Again, as we just were talking, we just wrapped up episode 26 of season four. And that's kind of the average for... Deep Space Nine having 26 25 to 26 episodes a season. That's like unheard of now. When the first writer strike happened back in 2005, I'm going to say 2005, 2006, that was one of the main things that got the axe through that writer strike. No more long seasons, no more 18 hour days of filming to get two and three episodes done and all that kind of stuff. So mm. that became the way of the dodo of, of 26, 25 episode seasons. I remember when we started playing with it and they were shortening it and something had like 18 seasons, or eighteen episodes a season, some had 15, then 13 seemed to be the magic number for a while, and then it was like 10. Now that still seems to be the case. It's like 10 to 12, depending on the, the type of show and if they're going to do a special or whatever it is, but 10 to 12 seems to be the, the going number. So with right. that comes a need to make sure that every episode has intent has right. impact you don't get right. random episodes like data's day for example where data was tap dancing with the doctor in the holodeck one minute and he's offic- not officiating but he's bearing witness at a wedding the next and he's kind of doing this rambling monologue throughout the episode we don't have stuff like that because there's just not time we need to make sure that the story that's being presented and told that they're hitting all the beats we don't have moments we don't have enough time to develop these moments of friendship and camaraderie not the way that we had been used to because now they only do it for the effect of it's important to this specific story that we're trying to tell instead of us getting to see it sprinkled through multiple episodes in a season they do it in like one to two episodes and then they got to move on same thing is true of characters we have to burn through these characters because there's not the we don't have the budget to draw this out 20 episodes you know and we need our characters to show growth every episode because again we don't have 25 episodes to show them gradually moving from being hesitant to do this thing to gung ho they've got 42 minutes So in the first two, you can be hesitant, but by minute 13, we need you on board because we just don't have the time to, you know, and they, they try to do their whole trickery. And we don't know in between the commercial breaks, how much time has passed and they'll make a reference. Oh, well, just a couple of weeks ago, but it was all the same episode, you know? So by sacrificing the longer season, Right. We have to make allowances for these certain aspects of storytelling now in order to get it done. If you don't like it, then you can you have no one to blame but yourself. Because that was one of the other complaints that we had a lot about older Trek. Too many filler episodes. But now we find out we need those. We need those. Sometimes those filler episodes, they seem stupid. But they give us these extra bits about characters that make the character more relatable. Um also Star Trek has always been a reflection of the time in which it was filmed. Knowing that and looking at some of the stuff that's come out in this newer Trek era, you have to remember what's going on in the world and is influencing the writers in the writers' room when they're coming up with these episodes, right? So we had the whole world shut down due to COVID. We've got this continuing evolving Ukraine russia situation um we've got supply chain issues here in the states and we've got you know inflation like crazy and medicine run amok and just all of these things that are very um that are all tied to like traumatic events and people just being emotionally exhausted from having to deal with all of these things that are kind of pulling us in every which kind of direction and a lot of trek is especially the new trick is like that there's so many times where you feel like oh they finally solved this crisis we can relax and then boom you're right back into something else and you're like Jesus like and and I mean that was what was going on with the the characters especially in discovery Discovery it seemed like they couldn't they just couldn't help it man they were they wouldn't even fully solve one problem before they were already neck deep in the next problem, and so when you're already riding that kind of emotional roller coaster to then see it played out on the screen probably was more triggering for people than they might have wanted to admit um but one of the things that I loved the most about discovery was it showed them handling it no one was trying to be all stoic with their pain and their grief and struggling in silence (laughs) and in darkness you know like which is what we see in a lot of the other the older shows you know they present this the captains in particular always present this outward facade of poise and strength and 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 courage and it's like everybody's doing the constant hero pose all the time Right. Whereas in Discovery, they let you, they let you see that they are also struggling with these things. They didn't necessarily do it on the bridge, but like Michael Burnham in particular, you know, she did have her breakdown. She did have her flaws, but she did it in a way that um, it allowed people to understand her, and it didn't compromise what else was going on on the on the ship. Um, and I think that's the strength. I think that it shows maturity, that she was able to get her job done in spite of the fact that she was emotionally compromised. She wasn't having to hide in the ready room to right. gather herself to do this, you know? Um, but yeah, we just it's just not something that we saw a lot of. And I think it was just foreign to people because we're so used to our characters, especially our hero characters, always seeming to have the answer or get over the thing quickly, you know? Right. And it always strikes me as so odd when people are like, oh, I hate that she has this emotional whatever breakdown, when one of, undeniably, one of the best episodes of Next Generation features Picard low, And I'm not talking about best of both worlds where he's the Borg, whatever. I'm talking about after that, when he the went home. Right, when he went home to Lebert, France and his brother broke him down and they're slinging mud at each other. And then he's crying in the whatever, in the in the vineyard, you know, and everybody says, oh, my God, this is such an amazing episode, such a powerful episode. And it's like, well, what? Yeah, why is it such a powerful episode? Because this guy finally stopped hiding his pain and he acknowledged it. And he right. took care of it and he didn't just get over it right away. He was still struggling at the end of the episode. He was still right. struggling with it, but he was at least acknowledging it and working his way through it. Well, now we move into the new Trek, where they're doing that only more. So they're letting other characters also voice their upset. We have Detmer, um, the, the pilot on discovery. She, you know, is severely traumatized at one point and has an outburst at dinner. And then we see her recognizing that she's struggling and she goes to a therapist and she starts talking and trying to get help. And everybody's like, Oh, they're just, they are so emotional all the time. Oh my God. Far be it for someone to recognize they have a problem and try to get help for it. Like it just blows my mind that that was an objection for people. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, all of that to say, like, all the shows have their their moments or whatever, but um, people find the weirdest things to suddenly be upset about, and you're missing out on actually enjoying the show, if you would just give it a chance. And to that end, I'm going to say, um, go watch Lower Decks. If you're not going to watch the other ones, at least go watch Lower Decks. That show is hilarious. It is absolutely hilarious. And the objections I've heard about lower decks being, oh, it's 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 stupid, it's silly, it's making fun of Trek, it's not real Trek. It absolutely is uh real Trek. It's almost like I feel like it's what you would it's what you want and you don't realize it's what you want because it's characters dealing with um certain scenarios the way i feel like we would like it and by what i mean when i say we i mean if someone beamed us up right now our 21st century selves and brought us into this very strange world and said and not just said welcome but said handle this you would probably run screaming you wouldn't know what to do if you were faced with a Giant, multi-tentacled alien, or an angry, irate, one-eyed Klingon, or a—God forbid—you you are you encounter the dreaded Moopsy. So, um, if you don't know what Moopsy is, again, go watch Lower Decks. That's probably the most fun I've had watching an episode.
1: You told me ever. about Moopsy. I forget what was the thing. It was—it's uh, a little
0: white bear-like creature. Um,
1: probably no—yeah,
0: probably no bigger than a house cat. But um, it it drinks your bones. And all it says is Moopsie. So it's this cute, cuddly-looking thing that slowly waddles across the whatever, but is vicious. Absolutely vicious. And I have had no end of fun teasing my daughter um, with Moopsie. I told her I was going to buy a Moopsie plushie and hide it. <laughs> hide, it around there, hide it around and let her find it. Because oh, it's man. hilarious. Oh, my gosh. But yeah, I mean and then they they still have their also, you know, semi-serious storylines, you know, they've got a character who had part of his brain replaced and there was kind of a dark reason why that happened, you know. So, I mean there's a, there's a lot to love about it, but you're never going to get there if you're already coming into it with your eyebrows fixed and your arms crossed and being like, "This ain't my trek." It's not always about you, Stephen. Come down. <laughs> All right? Let someone else have something. Learn to enjoy things. And if ultimately if you do watch it and you decide you just don't like it, fine. That is okay too. We're not going to shun you from the, uh, from the fandom and from the franchise because you don't like it, but allow other people to like it. Move on. In almost every instance of every track that has ever come out, there has been a large group of people who did not like it. Okay. But over time, those shows bore out when next generation started absolutely no one liked that show they didn't want the show they rioted that it wasn't going to be kirk spock and all them but let's not forget even the original series barely made it three seasons because the show was so thoroughly unpopular that they were going to take it off the air if it wasn't for a write-in campaign from the fans it never would have got that that third season all right right Next Generation, again, criminally not popular, and now it's like the most popular Trek show. Deep Space Nine, often considered by many to be the equivalent of the redheaded stepchild of the franchise, is now seeing a resurgence in popularity and people talking about, heck, we do our podcast about it and talk about the kind of renaissance that the show is having now some 30 years later. And don't even get me started on Enterprise, all right? Enterprise, when it first came out, God, did everybody hate it. Only made it four seasons. And now, everybody's like, oh my gosh. So much potential. There's so much that could be said about Enterprise right now and the weird rebirth that it's having. Even to the point where there have been petitions to start the show again where it left off. um, Or to fast forward it even to explain the aging of the the people now. Because again, they're all like...
1: It's 20 years ago.
0: Yeah. yeah, there are like 40 and 50 now, in some cases. So, yeah, every show ha- has been fraught with this stuff. You're you're not the first to say you didn't like the show. You're certainly not going to be the last. And, um, yeah, I would hate to see these same people be on the other side of this 20 years from now. and being like, man, Lower Decks is really ahead of its time. And Prodigy was actually an understated show. And, uh, man, Discovery really just... Blew me away. I really feel like that's what's going to happen for Discovery. I feel like 15 years from now, when they're doing some other Trek show or whatever it is, some other sci-fi, there's going to be a large group of people who are just going to be like, man, Discovery really got a lot of things right. So Discovery really did all this up and we're going to hate and kick ourselves that it only got five seasons when it should have had 15 and it'll all be y'all's fault. So to all that, again, I'm going to end it by saying what I said when I first started all this. Lighten up, okay? Watch the shows. Enjoy the stuff. If you don't enjoy it, turn it off. Shut up. Don't go on Reddit and scream into the void about how much you hate a show or a character or whatever else. Because a lot of you, when you do this, your ageism is showing. Your sexism is showing. Your racism is showing. Like all of these things and you don't even realize it. So cut it out. Let other people have things There.
1: All right, you said your
0: piece. I'll also say, "Strange New Worlds" is a gem. Go watch it; it's great. (laughs) Um, We didn't actually talk about the reason for why a singing episode could work, and I guess I'll just say that really quickly. It works because it's it's Trek, guys. It's sci-fi. They can do whatever they want. All right, just let it happen. If you don't like musicals, turn it off. Jesus. (laughs) Gotcha. well, anything else that I can, you know, drop some
1: <laughs> opinions
0: facts, on? Yeah, I, I love doing that. I can, I can do Truth this falls. all day. I can do this all day.
1: <laughs> Think I'm good.
0: Um, hmm. Well, real quick, since we are uh, at the end of season four and we're going to be going into season five next, we did also talk about how with season five we are also going to be starting. Um, the fifth book of the is I was just looking around real quick. I thought I had mine. I don't. Nemesis It's games. Nemesis Games. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We will be starting that one. Um We will probably do like uh, two After Darks about Nemesis Games. Basically, when we hit the halfway point and then at the end. So uh, that's how we do that. If you are following along go ahead and uh, pick that up, pick that book up and go ahead and start reading it now. And we'll talk about scheduling for that after dark when we get a little bit closer to it, but I'm actually really excited. I want to get into this book. I really loved how the fourth one ended. Um, seeing the return of Avisarala. I'm hoping that she's in this one more um, <laughs> and also kind of going back through the fifth season of the show and seeing just how they kind of sped things up. Cause again, the show only has six seasons, we know there are nine books. Here we are in the fifth, whatever, fifth book. Yeah. So I want to see how all yeah. that goes. Yeah. I'm rubbing my hands together and it's just like, I don't, I don't know. It's my thing. <laughs> yeah. so, I look forward to it too. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's going to actually do it for this After Dark. Do you have anything you would like to add what, about your experience with Trek so far? Is there anything you're excited for, looking forward to in, in not just season five of Deep Space Nine, but maybe in just Trek in general?
1: No, I guess I'll just quickly say that I never expected to be a Star Trek fan. I thought it was kind of, it, it passed me by and therefore I wasn't interested in, in joining it. So the fact that you've gotten me into it is uh, a little a little thing I never expected. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome.
0: I'm trying to actually bring another, um, uh, I guess, mutual friend, mutual colleague into the, the Trek and also Expanse fold. Um, oh yeah! Remember about- our old colleague Caleb?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: So, I actually, I did get him into uh, Trek several years ago when we when we actually worked together, um, oh, but he didn't follow the path that you did. He had, he started watching Deep Space Nine and then went back and did uh, Next Generation. See. Not really oh, wow. sure why. And then he like started Voyager and then didn't like it. So I don't know if he ever finished it or not. It's been a while since I've talked to him about it. But um, uh-huh. I'm trying to get him now to watch The Expanse. Kid just won't sit down. I don't know what his deal is. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm flabbergasted at the way that he has avoided watching The Expanse. So every right. time, like, it, we don't speak that often, um, uh, you know, but when we do speak, I'm always like, do you watch Expanse yet? He's like, no. So I was like, okay, well, I mean, I don't know why you're calling me. Until you watch it, I kind of just don't want to hear from you. So
1: everyone, this is the same man who when like uh, Squid Games came out was like, I ain't watching no Squid Games. Everyone else tells me to watch Squid Games. I ain't watching Squid Games. (sighs) Perry's telling people to watch stuff, but he doesn't like being told what to watch. So
0: that's different. Not everybody can be can operate the way that I operate. Okay, I will get there eventually. Uh, you
1: do watch quite a lot that's true you you usually give both shows a chance at least once
0: and to be completely fair or to be completely honest i'm not sure why i do that i'm really not i don't know why when someone tells me so adamantly to watch something why my brain like just ticks off of oh we're not going to do that to this day (laughs) i still haven't watched um breaking bad because my brother-in-law is Still such it. a diehard about it. He is on <laughs> me. And he I mean, like, we'll be talking and he'll just be like, oh, by the way, have you watched Breaking Bad yet? And I'm like, up, oh, now I got to wait a whole another month before I can even think about starting the show. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Like, don't, yeah. don't say anything. I will get For there. For the record,
1: <laughs> I have to say, so my coworker made me play the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild game. He was like, it's so good. You have to play it. I was like, I'm sure it's good. Yeah, I'm sure it's great. Blah, blah, blah. And then he made me play it. He he won a little cool contest. Basically, he made he made up a little contest specifically so he could make me play it, and I enjoyed it. So I get it. There are times when people tell you this thing is great. You got you're gonna love it, and you're like, you don't know me. You don't know yeah. me. You can't tell me what I'm gonna like, and then. They were right. <laughs> and I've honestly been –
0: always been that way. I remember when the Harry Potter series came out and my younger sister was reading it. And she was, you've got to read it. You've got to read it. You know, it took me like three years before I finally picked up the first Harry Potter book. Just because yeah. every time I saw her, she was like, oh, have you read it? And then there'd be a new one that came out. Well, you can't read yeah. this one till you read that one. Oh, really? Really? <laughs>
1: tell me what well, I'm going to read. <laughs> right. You don't tell
0: me. So Yeah, I yeah. was three years late to that whole scenario, phenomenon, whatever, yeah. because I just – Thankfully, I mean, it's a book, so I mean,
1: yeah, you know, not a TV show, that's yeah.
0: True. <laughs> Well, Okay, I wow. think that's going to okay. really close us out here for this um, It is After literally Dark.
1: midnight for us when we're yes. recording this as we finish this very moment.
0: <laughs> that's right. Officially Monday. So, And we both yeah. have work tomorrow, so yeah, this is a great time yep. to cut it off. As that's I true. say, every single week and whatever we're doing, you can find us and follow us across all the social medias, including X. Um, and you can listen to us anywhere you happen to listen to podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify. So Um, until I guess it'll be two weeks because we have the final episode of season four. Then we have this and then we'll be back. So that's three weeks actually. Yes. So it will be back in three weeks. And, um, you guys have oh, a By the time
1: people hear this, it'll be two. By the time yeah. people hear this, it'll be two.
0: By the yes. time they hear this, it'll be two weeks. But there will us, be no.
1: Be... There will be no stoppage in regularly released content. But for us, it'll be three weeks that we record.
0: <laughs> well, actually, there will be a slight stoppage in live content. There will be no live content true. for two weeks. But the right. actual podcast will continue on schedule. All right. right. There you go. Yes. Well, all right, guys. Until next time. Take care of yourselves.
1: Thanks, guys.